Welcome to It's All About the Questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this week's episode of It's All About the Questions. Week. So excited to be here with you today and to bring you another perspective thing guest whose books um, you just can't stop reading. I mean, I pick them up and I devour them. I, I don't even want to stop reading them. I read his latest one, which I got an advanced copy of that comes out next week on a flight to Omaha. I was so glad that I actually had a delay in an airport so that I could keep reading it and not have to get to my meeting and landed till I could finish this book. It was just one of those books you just have to devour, devour, devour and never stop. So I'm grateful today that uh, Brad is my guest on the show. He's going to be here in Vero Beach on March 11th at the Vero Beach Book Center. You do not want to miss that. But in the meantime, we get to have a chat with Brad Park. So, Brad, welcome to the show. Laura, it's great to be here. And if you don't mind, I'm going to use that as a blurb on my next book. He made me want to go to Omaha. Is that okay? <laughs> it was eight degrees when I got off the plane. I had left Florida at 75. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, there's nothing I can do about that unless you want to burn the book for warmth. No, um, no, 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 no. I did not want to burn the book for warmth because um, it, it just was that good. You know? <laughs> well, the, you know, I hope, you know, the, I, the, the, I think the best praise you can get for, for, for an author is when someone says, I know I have to clear my calendar for about eight hours before I sit down with one of your books because I'm not going to want to do anything else for the next eight hours. When I hear that, it just makes my heart sing. It is truly the best compliment. I'll never forget the first time I got one of those with, with my book, and I write nonfiction, not fiction. So um, I, I can understand that because your books just, from the first word on the first page, you just want, to, you feel like you're in the world of the characters. Right, right. Well, and that's the, that's the hope, and isn't that all why we read fiction? We want to be transported somewhere. We want to be taken away. You know, in the case of Closer Than You Know, uh, which is the book you read, you know, I take you into the world of Melanie Barrick, who is this young mother who uh, has immediately a problem. Um, she is, uh, so I, I always say that, I, I don't know if, if you're a parent, Laura, but um, I'm, I'm a parent, and every parent kind of probably tells this joke at some point, and that is, you know, they, they've done something benignly stupid with their kids, you know, whether it's they forgot to change the diapers or they forgot to put fruit in the kids' lunch or they send them off to school with torn jeans or whatever it is, and then they go, oh, my God, social services is going to swoop in and take away this kid any second, right? Except for Melanie Barrick, that's no joke. She is a, a young working mother. She comes home one night to pick up her kid from childcare, only to learn the baby has been taken away by social services, and no one will tell her why. So the hope is that when that's the first chapter, you're going to want to read chapter two to find out what happens. Yeah, the, and thank you for sharing the title of the book, which I was just so excited to be talking to you. Because this oh, book was so good. Okay. You know, it's closer than you know. It comes out on March 6th to everybody. You can pre-order now anywhere books are sold. But it, it comes out on, on March 6th. This was a little... This book was a departure for you. Now, you've won Lefty Awards. You've run Seamus Awards. I mean, you're the only person, the only book that you... Faces of the Gone. It's the only book in history to have won both the Seamus and Nero Awards. It's not like you have to keep writing amazing books like this. But what made you write this book? 
first of all, I, I do have to keep writing books like this, Laura, because my children do have to keep eating. Good point. Uh, like, Very good point. <laughs> and they are, they are hungry and growing. So, um, but, you know, I had long been fascinated. Sometimes books take a while in the incubator, and, and this was one of those books. When I was a newspaper reporter, or actually even let me go well before that, I grew Back up... Back to Ridgefield, a, Connecticut? To Ridgefield, Connecticut. Oh, somebody has done their research. Oh, so, I, I lived in Norwalk. Oh, okay. Well, so then you, so you know, you know Ridgefield then, I right? used to hang um, out in Ridgefield, so yeah. Yes, we were, uh, you know, I, I thought we were the poor kids on the block because my dad only made $90,000 a year, right? And, uh, For Ridgefield, so was, that is poor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, we were this, you know, comfortable, upper-middle-class white community where social services was not a factor. It was, they were not in the lives of my family or any family I knew. They, they, they just didn't exist. I, they weren't on my radar screen. And then I became a reporter in a very poor city, Newark, New Jersey, where you became aware that social services was a huge, huge factor in people's lives. And they were making these decisions to take kids away from one family, give them to another family. I mean, these absolutely enormous, impactful decisions. And it kind of opened my eyes to the fact that, you, you know, no matter where you go, whether you're talking about Newark or a, 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 a white suburb or anything in between, there is an agency of federal government that has the authority to take, your, I'm sorry, not a federal government, I generally have state or local government that has the authority to take your children from you, right? And what an awesome, awesome authority especially if it could be abused. And that's the, the what-if question that really fuels a thriller. So really, I started with, okay, what if you did have this woman who came home from work one day and her child has been taken, no one will tell her why, what happens next? Um, so it was really the, the desire to, to know what happened to Melanie and to, to figure out how this story works. Because unfortunately, when you, when you get into the research of, the, of this novel, as I did, it's actually not that hard to do what I did to this character. Because in the social services world, as you know, um, there, there is a certain guilty until proven innocent when it comes to uh, allegations of abuse, right? Because the, the system is set up to protect the child, as it well should be. Uh, and believe me, I'm, I'm not, this is not any kind of polemic against the Child Protective Service System. Uh, if anything, I, I think any social worker reading this book would be kind of nodding along going, yep, I do that too. Yep, I have to do that. Uh, and yet for the mother involved in this case, she is thrust into this horrible, horrible setting where nobody believes her, Nobody wants to hear her, and nobody is giving the benefit of the doubt. And isn't that just a, a terrifying circumstance for any of us to be in? One of the things that kept coming to me when I was reading the book was it felt so real to me that, yeah, like you said, this could easily happen. And it got me wondering, has this already happened? Boy, I, I don't know about that. You know, I, I always say that... Uh, People like their truth stranger than fiction, but they like their fiction to read like it's true. Um, so I, I think that's kind of what I strive for, is, is to give you that feeling of, wait a second, this really could happen, couldn't it? Um, and in fact, it could. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to get uh, spoiling the plot too much, but uh, we, we learn pretty quickly that uh, somebody uh, has, has uh, lodged a seemingly credible allegation that Melanie Barrick was dealing drugs. 
And then we learn that somebody has left an anonymous tip line, that Melanie Barrick was trying to sell her baby. All these things that, again, if you put yourself in the situation uh, or in the position of social services and you hear, here's a mom who's dealing drugs, here's a mom who's trying to sell her kids, you have no choice but to remove that child from that household immediately and as quickly as possible. And by the way, the law is on the side of social services in this case. Well, here's what's really interesting. Somebody I know, something like it just happened to them. Oh, wow. Wow. And, and a- it, social services got called. Um, they, they call, somebody got called in around potential sexual assaults right, right. And, and all that. And what ended up happening was he was hooked on painkillers due to a uh, back injury. He got pulled over for that. And the police bundled all these individual things and weighed them all together. Right. So right. all of a sudden it became he was dealing. Right, right. And they, the FBI, I mean, the DEA got called in. His daughter got removed. All of this stuff happened. And then the police went after it had splashed over the entire industry that he was in. Every, te- every magazine about this person. It was all over the news. The police went, oh, sorry, we messed up. Yeah, yeah. And forget all of that. He wasn't dealing. There was nothing wrong with his daughter. Nothing happened. But yet this happened. You know, and one of the early titles for this book that I, I dismissed because it was ultimately kind of too cold and impersonal, but it was The System. Because everybody involved in the child protective world, they, you know, they refer to it as the system. Oh, the system this, the system that. And um, one of the things that I think gives this book a, a little bit of an extra pull is that Melanie Barrick, the protagonist, grew up in the system herself. She was abandoned by her parents when she was nine years old. And so she knows better than anyone what this system is really like. And one of the observations she makes in the book is that it really is like this giant maw, right? Once you get caught up in it, once you're kind of ensnared in those teeth, it's really difficult to get out of it. Because every agency you come across, just as your friend found out, is dealing with this issue of, well, hey, look, the guy was accused of doing this, the guy was accused of doing that, the sheriff's office says this, social services says this, so he must be a bad guy, so let's, uh, you know, and, and by the way, let's follow our procedures, and, you know, in this case, let's protect the child. You know, it's always the best interest of the child, which, again, it well should be, and most of the time, that's exactly where we want it to be, except for those kind of horrible scenarios that only devious thriller writers like me can think up of, we hope. <laughs> yeah, you, you guys have that really crazy mind that tends to be... <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I really want to be in your brain, but yeah. part of me does, place. because it's, it, it's really amazing. And we're going to talk about that when we come back from our first commercial break, more with Brad Parks, author of Closer Than You Know. Brad, when I went to Omaha, which we talked about <laughs> at the beginning of... It all comes back to Omaha. It all comes back to Omaha. I grew up hearing about Boys Town. Are you familiar with Boys Town? Refresh my memory. Okay, so it, it wasn't just that awesome movie with Spencer Tracy and Mickey Rooney. It was founded by Father Flanagan, and he created this place to basically get rid of reform school and a horrible orphanage and foster care system that had existed and it was 101 years ago that he founded right. Boys Town and then it became an actual town in Omaha, Nebraska. Right. Okay. 
And while I was in Omaha, I went and I visited it. Because I grew up in New York, always hearing about Boys Town. You know, you, they had the Boys Town newsletter and, and all this stuff. And it got me thinking, especially considering that I was reading your book, Closer Than You Know, on my flight to Omaha. I said, you know, I really do need to go there and just get a feel for another possibility of a kind of system that could be put in place for it. Do you think that, probably not think, let's let's change the phrasing on that. Um, with all the research that you did, because this book and all your books, it's very obvious how much research you do to understand the system, as you called it, and the people involved and, and the emotions involved. Do you think that, is there a possibility of fixing this system? Yeah. So, uh, the yeah, the, can you fix the system? Um, you can, actually, Laura. It just requires, and nobody wants to hear this, a lot more money. Um, you know, and that's the, it, it's kind of a, an easy fix, but, and, and nobody, but, you know, I think a lot of the, the root of, of what ills the Child Protective Service System starts with they don't have nearly enough caseworkers, and the caseworkers are not paid nearly enough money. So it is, a, it is a tough line of work to try and recruit people into. And uh, you, there are some absolutely wonderful people who go into it for all the right reasons and who are incredibly selfless and really, truly angels among us. The problem is there's also that bottom-of-the-barrel element that you sometimes get when you're just not paying people much money. It's a low-respect job. It's a lousy job to have. I mean, it's an emotionally grueling job to have. Um, and so, you know, it's, it, I think that this goes ac uh, really across the board with our caregivers, Laura. Like, our, our society doesn't value caregiving enough. And, and this is whether you're talking about teachers or whether you're talking about nurses or, you know, you can, you can run the gamut. So, yeah, I, I think if, if we said, you know what, abused and neglected children deserve more of our money, they deserve more of our resources, um, I, I think you would see a, a large improvement in, in the lives for these children. Uh, unfortunately, most of the time they are, they are out of sight and out of mind, and so the more typical experience is the one that Melanie Barrick, the protagonist, in this novel has, you know, which is she grows up bouncing around from placement to placement. She's, she's with families that are, uh, you know, look, there are some wonderful, wonderful foster families out there, and, and, and hopefully we, we've all bumped across someone and, and give those people a huge pat on the back. But then there are also people, and I don't know what it is exactly in the state of uh, Florida, but in the state of Virginia, they, you know, they pay you 500 bucks a month to take in a foster kid. And so yeah, there are some folks out there who go, wait a second, if I get three foster kids, maybe four foster kids, that'll pay my mortgage, that'll pay my grocery bill, that, and I won't have to work, I won't have to do anything. And so there, there is the, the possibility of abuse out there. Um, and that's certainly what Melanie Barrick from Closer Than You Know found. And unfortunately, it's what a lot of children found. Um, you know, my research for this novel uh, was, was twofold, actually. Um, I, I had the, <laughs> the serendipitous experience of uh, coming home from work one day, and uh, my kids were talking with the babysitter, who was this, you know, lovely, well-adjusted young college student, and she said something like, and my, my, my daughter asked her, oh, do you have any brothers or sisters? And she said, oh, yeah, I, I've had 20 or 30. 
And I go, what? <laughs> and, it, and it turned out she had grown up in foster care. So, I, you know, I ended up uh, having lunch with her, and she kind of told me all about her experiences. And, uh, and then from there, just reading memoirs, and uh, there, there are a number of excellent memoirs about, about the foster care system. And unfortunately, the kind of the average typical experience is that foster care tends to create as many problems as it solves. Um, so working this all the way back to, around to where you originally uh, started, yeah, I think if we pumped more money into the system, it probably wouldn't prove things. That was way too long an answer, wasn't it? No, no, no. It's, in my opinion, there's never too long an answer if it gets to a point. <laughs> Sometimes you can, you know, shorten the, the curving. Um, your book, by the way, is not too long. It's just perfect. <laughs> oh, thank you. That, well, that's what matters. I'm a much better writer than I am talker. <laughs> no, you're a great, you're a great talker. So... There was a commercial um, in between uh, during the commercial break for Hibiscus Children's House here in Vero Beach, which is sort of like a mini Boys Town, which, by the way, Boys Town now accepts girls and has for a number of years now, where they're trying to create a family environment and they teach them skills and things like that so that they can feel confidence in themselves. Now, I know that, or at least I believe that one of the impetuses for writing this book was while you were a journalist in Newark with some of the things that you saw happen right there. Do you think that if you had changed courses and not become a journalist that you wouldn't have been writing books like this? Or do you think you still would have? Oh, no, I, I think there's no way. If I, if I had not been a journalist, there's no way I would have been writing these books because I wouldn't have had those experiences, right? I mean, there, there is no way for that upper-middle-class white kid to get that, um, you know, that, that kind of inner-city Newark experience in the, in, the, in the real and genuine way that I did, I think. Uh, I hope it's real and genuine, it, but by which I mean, you know, spending a lot of time on people's front porch and, and really talking to them and, and really understanding their perspective. Um, so the, the, the case that really brought um, Child Protective Services into my radar screen for the first time was unfortunately a tragedy, which often that's the case when it comes to Child Protective Services. You don't really hear about them until something truly awful happens. And in this case, there was a, a young boy uh, by the name of Fahim Williams um, who um, was in, a, in, a, in an abusive home. And uh, it, it actually started with um, uh, the, the boyfriend of the woman who had been watching these kids uh, was looking for his boots one day, right? And he's looking all over for his boots, can't find his boots. He thinks maybe his girlfriend has hidden them from him. And he gets to the basement door, and the basement door is locked, right? And so he finds a screwdriver, he jimmies it open, and there, to his shock and horror, are two small children huddling in the darkness. Now, the boyfriend has been living in this house for three or four months by this point. He did not know there were children in the house. Oh, my God, that's horrible. It it was absolutely horrifying. And then it got only worse because one of the little boys, seven years old, he's covered in cuts and burns, and he's emaciated and everything like that. And when the cops show up, he tells the police, I have a twin brother, and I haven't seen him in weeks. And so the authorities eventually found, and it's a gruesome thing to talk about, but they eventually found the remains of Fahim Williams uh, uh, snapped in a storage, plastic storage bin and, and shoved under a, a storage shelf or something like that. And, the, you know, and, of course, the story only got worse because it turned out he and, had... And here's the fascinating part. You've just given us a cliffhanger. 
going into the national news. Oh, okay. There Everybody, we go. we're so, going to yeah, finish to, that to, story and to move learn forward. how it works from here. Stay tuned on the other side, folks. <laughs> Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. If you're just joining us here live on iHeartRadio, welcome, welcome, welcome. If you're on podcast, hey, we're, you know, I strip out all the commercials and the national news. So it was instantaneous coming back with Brad Parks, author of Closer Than You Know, coming out March 6th. And he will be here at the Vero Beach Book Center. If you happen to be here in town, if not, you really should come because this is going to be an epic, epic author talk. March 11th, 1 p.m., Vero Beach Book Center, Brad Parks with Brad Meltzer. I don't know who's the bigger author, because they're both no, so pretty there, awesome. I was about to say, there, there's nothing more humbling than not even being the most successful Brad at your own book signing. <laughs> and uh, I think, unfortunately, that's going to be the case for me. You know, I think you, you should have done it with Brad Taylor, too. I had Brad Taylor here uh, on the show uh, about um, three, four weeks ago. That would have been great three Brads. Yeah, but then I'd be the third most successful <laughs> Brad, and my ego really couldn't handle that. Well... If you feel that you're the least successful of the Brads, I have to tell you, I think you are my new favorite Brad. <gasps> really, Laura? Really? I just uh, okay. I'm 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 walking. I'm ten feet tall for the rest of the day. I'm <laughs> Laura Stewart's favorite Brad. My work here is done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we left everybody on this cliffhanger. We were right. talking about this experience that you had when you were a journalist in Newark. And how it kind of started this thread of an idea for the book. Right. So the story, and yes, we were mid-anecdote. Um, it, it, it's a sad story, and it has a sadder ending. And that is that, uh, that this, this seven-year-old boy who was uh, ne- neglected and abused and eventually starved to death in a basement uh, had been a case file with the Division of Youth and Family Services in New Jersey. And the file had been closed nine months earlier, and the social worker had never talked to any of the children involved. Um, so this resulted in a, a huge overhaul of Child Protective Services in New Jersey. But, but what it really did for me was put Child Protective Services on my radar in a new way. And it, it made me, to, to go back to what we were talking about at the, at the start of the show, realize what an enormous factor it was in the lives of families who, who were impacted by it. And, you know, and particularly in an African-American area, uh, they really saw... Child Protective Services as being almost like the modern slave trader, um, which is going to sound really extreme to people who maybe don't have that sensitivity, but to them it was this powerful outside force that could come in and take your child away for what seemed like really... Uh, capricious reasons because, hey, look, on the one hand, there's that family over there, and what they're doing is much worse than what I was doing, but they took my kid away, and they didn't take that kid away. And so, I mean, it it just really kind of opened my eyes to how it was viewed as being this powerful outside agency coming in. And, you know, I didn't want to put any of the racial stuff into this book because I didn't want to make it about that. But, But what I really did take away, and this is what Melanie Barrick, the protagonist of Closer Than You Know, feels throughout is that she is powerless. And, and that's really the important takeaway, is that once you, once you do get involved in, with, with social services and once you do become a case file, you no longer have 
any real agency over this incredibly, incredibly important part of your life. What's interesting in this book, and I don't want anybody to think that it's gory if you don't like gory books or it's a radical departure from Brad's other books. This book for me, Brad, kept me on the edge. Like, I think, no, do I know? Do I not? I don't know. Wait, where is this book going? And it just kept me on that edge wanting to read page after page after page because you get in the world, you can feel the emotions of the of Melanie, of everybody involved, her husband, the judges, the prosecutors. You take us in the world and bring us out the other side. And it, it's literally just that page turner that, like you said, you know, Give yourself eight hours because you're not going to want to put the book down. <laughs> well, that's hopefully the idea. I, I always remember as a, as a young author, I did. A, we, we were talking about book signings during the break, and, and our audience didn't get to hear it. But we were talking about those disappointing book signings where, you know, you're, you're all excited. You're fired up as an author. You're doing this book signing. And then you get three people in the audience. Or right? none or one. <laughs> or none or one. And I, I had one of those experiences one time in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I, was, I had been super excited going into the gig because there had been this beautiful review in the Fredericksburg Freelance Star, the local paper. It had, it had called me a, a meld of Bob Woodward and Janet Ivanovich which That's never heard the... that one before, but I certainly wasn't going to turn it down. So no, I was I all excited and thinking people are going to read this review and say, who is this guy? And, you know, instead I go, it's like, yeah, there's three people. And by the way, two of them work for the bookstore. So, <laughs> you know, it, you know, and I come out and across the parking lot from the bookstore was a movie theater. And it was a Friday night, and there I was coming from this empty book signing and seeing this massive full parking lot, and that's when it clicked to me. You know what? My competition, it's not other books, right? It's that movie screen. It's the, the, the game in your pocket. It's what's on TV. It's all of the other things you could be doing instead of reading my book. And therefore, my book has to be that thing you just can't put down, that you just have to know what happens. And in this case, yeah, you've got to know, does Melanie Barrett get her kid back or not? And by the way, who's been the person taking the kid from her all this time? And so hopefully, yes, that will propel you very nicely through 400 very fast pages. Along that same line of conversational thread that we're going, I have a lot of authors and wannabe authors that listen to my show. Okay. Is there a piece of advice you would give them, not only about writing their book, but also about after their book is out, promoting it to get people <laughs> to know about their words? So I'm not sure about the promotion. Uh, I, I actually obviously I with, get on Laura Stewart's show, but get yeah. on get on Laura Stewart. It is a fast track to the bestseller list, baby. Um, <laughs> you know the the, the writing. Uh, I mean, I, I I can give all kinds of writing advice, most of which would probably be useless. But you know, it, it, at the end of the day, it's pretty simple. Don't be boring. Like seriously, I think a lot of times uh, as storytellers we'll, we'll, we'll say, well, you know, this part is a little slow, but it's really important because you need to understand that, uh, you know, Melanie Barrick uh, once played tennis and this, uh, this knowledge of tennis, no, no, you don't need to know that actually. And so it's just making sure that every scene 
is there for a reason and that every scene has an energy to it and a juice to it. Um, I mean, I, I think, you know, so I'm, I'm doing this, uh, this show at the Vero Beach Book Center on March 11th with Brad Meltzer. And yes, that was a plug. Did you like how I did that? I but love like, how you did that. Read Brad Meltzer's books. There's not a wasted word, right? And there's not a wasted scene. And in every scene, something is happening. And, and I think that's the critical thing. Something has to be happening in every scene. And by the way, the something can't be your beautiful writing, okay? Because I hate to say it, no one is here for your beautiful writing. They're just not. And it, it, it breaks my heart because I love writing beautifully too, but it's, it's really all about the story. Um, I, I remember another uh, well-known Florida re- resident, uh, a guy by the name of James Patterson, who has sold, by the way, one or two more books than I have. Uh, there was once a, uh, a New York Times Magazine piece about James Patterson, where the interviewer asked him about the fact that, in fact, his first book, uh, Kiss the Girls, I think it was, won the Edgar Award. And the Edgar Award is the, you know, the highest uh, prize given by the Mystery Writers of America, and it generally skews kind of literary to people who have really pretty sentences. And, of course, James Patterson doesn't have really pretty sentences anymore, and the, the interviewer was asking him, you know, what, what happened to your sentences, basically? And James Patterson, who is, by the way, the best-selling author in America, said, readers don't care about sentences. Readers care about stories. And like it or not, James Patterson is absolutely right. Yet, if the book is laden with uh, improper grammar, spelling (laughs) errors, things like that, people can't get to the story. Well, that's true. Uh, you know, obviously, but there's a minimum competency level required, which, of course, James's books all very much meet. But I guess it's just it's always remembering that that the story is what matters. And you know, I I believe that we are these these funny little monkeys that have taken over the planet for one reason and one reason only, and that is our ability to tell stories. Um, and this, this gets into perhaps too long a, a, a topic on an even an hour-long radio show, but when you look at the history of humanity and when you, you date when we believe that the human ability for language evolved, it is very neatly coordinated with when human beings came pouring out of Africa with art, culture, and, and all the tools they needed to take over the world. And it's because storytelling, I think, is the one quintessential human trait, which is why stories matter. In this particular book, you chose to, in your story, write from a female perspective versus a male perspective. Yet, I heard you say in another interview or somewhere, I forget where I read it, that you really weren't writing from a female perspective. You were writing about a human person who just happened to be female. Right. Well, now you've stolen my answer. But, okay. um, you know, it, it really, yeah, I, this was the first time ever writing a female protagonist. And, you know, here I have this story where you have a, a young parent whose child has been taken away by social services. And I just felt the only perspective to really tell that story from would be the mother's perspective. So here I am, I'm stuck writing a woman, right? Okay. Uh, I am 43 years old. I have 43 years of really excellent experience being a dude, Laura. Um, <laughs> Uh, none of that experience being a woman. So I I was a little intimidated beforehand. There's no question about it. But what I very, very quickly found is that um, in any given scene, the character's gender 
was not the most important thing motivating her actions. It was what does she want? What does she need? What, you know, what, what is standing in her way? What resources is she going to be able to summon to overcome these obstacles? Uh, again, yes, these are human things, not female things. Um, one of my favorite bumper stickers is a, a friend of mine. It says, feminism is the radical notion that women are people. And that's really that. how I decided to just treat these characters, uh, treat them like they're people. I actually, I did, and, and I can confess on an hour-long show, I, I did do one thing that was overtly really trying to pander to the female reader. Okay, and we're going to carry that for our cliffhanger. I'm gonna, and that'll be our cliffhanger. That's our Brad cliffhanger. We'll be right back. female readers. Okay, Brad, how did you pander to women in this book? So, yes, <laughs> here I am pandering to women over the commercial break. So uh, I'm writing this female protagonist. I want to connect with my female readers. What is the one thing that Melanie Barrick, the protagonist of Closer Than You Know, is doing that is distinctly, uniquely female? Well, she is breastfeeding an infant, right? And now she's had the infant stripped away from her, and this will be a trauma, right? And, uh, you know, I mean, uh, in some ways, just a physical one. I mean, uh, you know, a woman's breasts engorge every three or four hours. And, you know, I was a stay-at-home dad. I certainly know about all these issues. And so I have all these references to Melanie, you know, needing to pump and wanting to breastfeed and, you know, and because she wants to keep her milk up for when she gets the child back and everything like that. Well, my, my editor... Uh, I'm sorry, I, I should start with my agent. My agent, uh, a woman, uh, two children, reads it and says, hey, this is a great book, but too much breastfeeding. So, okay, so I cut out some of the references to breastfeeding. And then I give it to my editor, a woman, two kids. She reads it. Great book. Loved it. But what's with all the breastfeeding? I cut out more references to breastfeeding. She hands it to my publisher, also a woman. Also, same thing. Why are there so many references to breastfeeding? So uh, by that point, you know, I, I think there, there may be about three or four left in the whole novel. But, but my one opportunity, my one shot at, at pandering to the other side, and it was a complete and total failure. So this is all the more reason why I really I just need to stick to writing female characters like they're human beings and nothing else. <laughs> I'm sitting here just laughing because Brad Taylor talked about the some of the same things when he wrote his latest book that I talked to him about because there was a lot of strong female characters in it and when he first invented them he had to all these women would be like no no way. A woman wouldn't do that. I know you men think they would, but they wouldn't. <laughs> so I think the key then is you have to have people around you when you're writing from another perspective to help you understand what really goes on in their mind. Yeah, no, and, it, and it's always funny, of course, with it, inevitably the thing that the reader says, a woman would never do that, is the thing I have ripped off exactly from my wife did this, my right. best friend who's female did this, you know, so, something like that, and they'll say, oh, a woman would never do that. So uh, it's, you know, it's it's tricky ground uh, to cover, uh, but, but I think... It, you know, ultimately, again, if you go back to what does this character want, what does this character need, those things have nothing to do with gender whatsoever. And I think that's what makes it so strong for me. I've never had children. I caregived for my mom for six years before right. she passed away. So in some ways, she was my child as I yeah, was oh, hers. But when I read the book, for me, it was believable because even though I was not a mother... And never a parent, I could relate to the character. I could feel what she was going through. And that, at the end of the day, drew me in. For me, fiction books 
stop my brain from all the other stuff in my life and allow me to just have minute focus in the world that the author is painting. Right. And in this case, the the role of the caregiver, I I think there's something, obviously, I've never been a mother either, but uh, (laughs) I I mentioned I I was a stay-at-home dad, and so I had this little infant who, for eight, nine, ten hours a day, was totally 100% dependent on me for everything. Oh, and believe me, if we're going to talk about lactation again, I know I shouldn't, but I cannot tell you how many times I wish my breasts lactated. It would have made life so much easier. But <laughs> uh, but nevertheless, I think that that caregiver experience is something that I very much put into Melanie Barrick because it is really, uh, I think once you've been a, a really round-the-clock caregiver like that for someone, anyone, yeah, whether it's the elderly, whether it's someone who's sick, whether it's an infant, you know, that person becomes like part of your brain, right? Like there's always that little small part of your brain that's pulsing of what's going on with my mother or what's going on with my baby. or And it, it is, I think you maybe you need to have done it to... Um, to be able to represent it, but it, it is an experience I think is is a uh, was a very valuable one for me, and I certainly could not have written this novel without having had that experience. All of your books have this idea in it for the reader that you lived it. Hmm. How do you? Did you even know that you did that? No, no. Well, so my, my first six novels, of course, are, are the, it's an investigative newspaper reporter who writes about crime in Newark, New Jersey, and I was an investigative newspaper reporter who wrote about crime in Newark, New Jersey. So perhaps the, the, the feeling that, I, that you've lived it is, is not at all coincidental. Um, but really, the, the two standalones, uh, Say Nothing and Closer Than You Know, uh, no, thankfully I didn't live any of this stuff. And I, I think I've slowly learned what feels real. Uh, you know, I mean, I think we're all looking for that, that feeling of verisimilitude, and uh, maybe I've just kind of learned how to create that. And it's always, it's always in those details, right? And, and I think I'm, I'm fortunate to have one of those kind of brains that uh, every scene that happens in my novel I kind of see as like this little play or movie that's happening in my brain. And so I'm just kind of telling you what's in my brain and what I'm seeing. Um, And so hopefully if I do that well enough, I'm creating a reading experience for you that is very genuine. It is for me. I've really enjoyed your books. And as, as an author, you're... I've looked at your book tour schedule, by the way. That is <laughs> that is a really impressive book tour schedule. Your book, Closer Than You Know, releases on March 6th and can be purchased anywhere books are sold and is available for pre-order now, right? That is correct. Okay. Uh, and yes, the, the book tour schedule is, you know... I just like getting out of the house, Laura. What can I tell you? I mean, 11 months of the year, nobody gives a darn about who I am, what I'm doing, anything like that. And for one month of the year, I get to go out and talk to people and meet people and see things. And it's so, so wonderful. Because, you know, I think for some authors, they are deeply introverted. And one of the great parts of the job is that they just get to sit by themselves and write a novel. And for me, that's the hardest part. Like, I'm, I'm alone all day. By the time my wife gets home, I mean, I'm just a pest. I'm like, honey, 
honey, what's <laughs> going on? What'd you do today? Well, tell me something. I, I just, you know, and it's, I mean, p- pity the poor woman, really, truly, because, you know, for me, being alone is, is a difficult thing. So I, I love getting out and meeting with people. I love talking with readers. Readers are, are really some of the most uh, empathetic, wonderful, warm-hearted people you will find. And so when you get to just go around the country talking to readers, it's a real blessing. Well, I think that every one of yours should be packed solid. (laughs) So let's remind people where they can catch you here in Vero Beach. So it will be at the Vero Beach Book Center at 1 p.m. on Sunday, March 11th. It is a joint appearance with Brad Meltzer, where I will be only the second most famous Brad in the room. Um, the, the only thing I will have going, Brad is completely bald, so I, it will be a very unusual for me. I will be the least bald of the Brads in the room, uh, which is, a, you know, that's a perk for me. I got that going for me. <laughs> hey, take whatever you can get, right? Exactly. Why with somebody? I, I Honestly, uh, because we were already booked in the Vero Beach Book Center, and then Brad Meltzer called them up, or his publicist called them up, and said, hey, uh, this is the only day we can do it. And so then my publicist called me and said, do you want to do a joint event with Brad Meltzer? And it's like, yeah, sure I do. I love Brad Meltzer's stuff. Bring it on. I love it. I think it's going to be really great. Now, for anybody who is not in the Vero Beach area, um, if you go to bradparksbooks.com, his under events, you can see the entire tour and you can catch him in Texas, New Jersey, Florida, Arizona, Virginia, um, all over the place, New York. And Ohio as well. Yeah, Brad, sure, why if, not? if somebody doesn't have the ability to get to one of your signings, your author talks, how can they reach out to you? So, of course, there's always the venerable Facebook. Uh, go to www.facebook.com slash Brad Parks Books. Or you can find me on Twitter at Brad underscore Parks. And I'm always happy to interact with readers. I mean, Laura, that, that really one of my favorite parts of the job is, you know, I toil all year for many, many long months to create this story. But the story doesn't really, truly come alive until someone else reads it. And then it becomes pictures in their heads, and, and, the, and the character becomes part of their heart the way the character is part of my heart. So being able to share that is, is really the, the great pleasure of what I get to do for a living. And that is the perfect way to end the show. Thank you so much for being here with me, Brad. Laura, it was a real pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And I hope to see you guys all at Vero Beach Book Center on March 11th. That would be great. And and grab his latest book, Everyone Closer Than You Know, Brad Parks. Thanks for being here. And remember, everybody, the right questions truly can change your life. So what are you asking yourself today? Have a great day, everyone. Hug someone you love and read a good book. been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today. 